Welcome to the Edition Wars Podcast, where we take a deep dive into the mechanics and playstyles of all the editions of our favorite game. We look at what worked, what didn't, what led to better games, as well as what didn't, and we talk about it all. In this episode, we're going to discuss Chapter 6 of the 5th Edition DMG, Between Adventures. And with us tonight is our special guest, Teos Abadia. Teos, how are you tonight? Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm doing extremely well. Happy to be on the show. I was just listening to your coverage of Chapter 2 earlier today. Well, thank you. Uh, This is a pretty short chapter, so if you want to take us to task for anything we left out of Chapter 2, I'm sure we can cut in some time for it. (laughs) I don't know. The way that you guys... I've listened to your show. I know how you guys can fill time. I'm not worried. (laughs) Ouch. And thank you. No, no, no. Have you heard me? I mean, getting me to shut up is the trick, so... Uh, My superhero name is actually the Bloviator. I'll have you know. We can absorb to fill all space we are given. (laughs) True words never spoken. All right. So, Sam. Yes. What in God's name is Between Adventures? Between Adventures is a, I think, the shortest chapter in the book, number one. Um, It's it's in serious competition with chapter four from what I recall. Um, And it is describing a sort of elaborating on some of the elements of uh, uh, chapter five in the player's handbook, the the equipment chapter at the end of it, it has a sort of list of uh, uh, typical daily expenses based on the standard of living that, that one might, uh, that one adventurer might have during the off adventure times and some, some ideas for activities that, that you might do. This chapter expands on that a little bit. It also discusses uh, linking adventures into an overarching story, and uh, and and we'll we'll get into some of the details. But that that's basically what it is. It's it's trying to give uh, some ideas about if the players, if the PCs finish an adventure, they 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 kill the big bad of a particular adventure arc, and now they're at home, or they they finish a sort of portion of a campaign, and now they're at home to rest and recuperate. What exactly are they doing for those weeks when they're not actively adventuring? That's what this chapter is trying to answer, along with some sprinkled advice for the DM about tracking notes in your campaign and whatnot. Yeah. So I guess I guess my first question is. What is an adventure as a discrete object? And is that important to your campaigns? Because like, I've been in campaigns where there is no discrete like object in a rule sense. Uh, obviously, I don't mean physical object in, rules, in the world, but um, in the programming sense. Um, uh, there's no scripting hook for adventure. Right? You... You are going around town. You throw in some ultraviolence. Uh, then you you go uh, have a really good time with your droogs, as you do. But you you weren't off an adventure, then on an adventure, and then off an adventure. You were just role playing in the course of a campaign day, right? Yeah, uh, and so. What has your experience been with that? We'll start with Deus. Um, I think that's the way we mostly used to play when I started out many, many moons ago. 
um, partly because adventures didn't have the, the rhythm that they do now. And I think a, a lot of what's crafted these days, it has a very deliberate pacing. Um, I mean, we see that in, in television too, right? Uh, no show was like the Mandalorian when we were born, right? Like nothing had that kind of pacing or storytelling approach to it. And nobody even, I think, conceived of that. And maybe there's some exceptions. Uh, but, I didn't but see Gunsmoke, so I don't actually know. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I, I think we've come to where we, we want a particular model. And that's what this chapter is trying to speak to. But but you're right. There is that kind of there. You can play in a lot of different right, ways and you could be in a completely different model like we used to kind of do more where it was just sort of like, well, what do you want to do now? Uh, I right. want to go in this direction. OK, well, this is what you find. And and improvisation was a was a, a, a fairly big skill and common skill and, and very little was written down. And yeah. And I think the more maybe a DM is not running published adventures, the more that they feel comfortable with that and develop skills for that. Right. I'm still mostly not running published content. Um, and, you know, I think about Critical Role, for example. Um, there is, I think, still in, in Matt's improvisational style, a lot of um, no, no sense of adventure as a discrete object until you go through the door of the dungeon and don't decide to teleport out <laughs> or whatever, right? Um, he, he definitely sort of has his moment, his point of no return uh, senses at times, but um, he doesn't really break the world into adventure scale time and downtime scale time. They just go a day at a time, from yeah. what I can think of. And- I think... I mean, I, that's kind of indicative of of the the more modern campaign. I think um, you know, like I, I generally run homebrew personally mm-hmm. myself. I am running Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, but it's only the second published adventure I've run for fifth edition. But you know, back in the day when I was playing basic D anD D, when I was running basic D anD D, I mean, you know, we would get a thirty two page adventure module that had you know twenty pages of adventure content. Uh, and when that was over, we would go back to town or sometimes we would, you know, as part of the trope was, okay, you're leaving the dungeon. You're going back to town. What are you doing for those three days that you're needing to heal up? Are you doing something else? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was just kind of how it went. I, I, it wasn't, um, we didn't use the same terminology, right? Like it wasn't like, oh, we're going back from the dungeon. We're going to town for quote downtime. Right. Right. Uh, but one of the things we did do, and I still do in my castles and crusades game is training. So they talk about training a little bit in here, which is sort of an alternate downtime thing where you need to get training when you level up to gain some, to gain the skills that you earn. Right. Um, and so that's, that's actually a part of, that was a a much bigger part of the game, uh, many years ago than it is now for a lot of people. It's very Mm -hmm. interesting to me that in this chapter, they um, the way they address it is by providing sort of two examples of what they call linking adventures, right? They say a campaign in the style of an episodic television show. And in this case, they're saying you don't need links because it's like every episode is just a, a day in the life of. 
and nothing has to be connected, right? So it's like, if you think of like a TV cop show or something, it's, it's whatever you're dealing with mm-hmm. on that particular day. That's what today's show is. And tomorrow it's a different day. Right. It's uh, monster of the week X-Files. Yeah. I mean, X-Files is the perfect example. I was just going to say that because you've got like the episodes that are just like a weird monster. But then every now and then you'd have your arc episode that linked. And that's the other kind where there's this narrative, right? We're trying to figure out who is is the cigarette smoking man, who is, you know, behind all of this, what is the conspiracy? And, and that's kind of, and that's the two types we get, which is very different than what you guys were describing, right? As, as a campaign. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't help but compare this to the DMG that I usually turn to, which is the 4E DMG. Uh, And that DMG has, a very different progression that it takes you through to tell you how to or help you know how to run stories. Um, and I, and I kind of looked at this and thought, really, is this, this is kind of all we're getting is some examples of like MacGuffins or you work for an organization. I, I was kind of surprised. Well, like most of this chapter, uh, you can sort of break into those two parts of, Okay, your basic structure of what holds the campaign together and then downtime activities. So flash forward to Xanathar's and then Tasha's. <laughs> and uh, this chapter is getting rewritten, guys. Yeah, it really is. Um, and, and it will, like, if you were to patch those two together, uh, it would be at least in competition with the longest chapters in this book. That's true. Um, yeah, if you add everything that's done in, in Ak Inc. and Xanathar's and Tasha's. Yep, 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 for sure. And probably more books to come. Uh, yeah. Um, well, it makes me think also, like, when we get to downtime adventures, uh, uh, downtime activities, it makes me think also of The One Ring, uh, a game really surprisingly to me driven by um, kind of a large number of custom written downtime activity options mm-hmm. hmm. that that kind of still it, it stuck with me as a weird thing about uh, the one ring. It's not, not a bad thing in any way. It's just not something I think I've seen in any other game um, in any case. Um, so I, I really feel like um, the the beginning of it. So uh, let me just preface this with this sort of umbrella statement that, um, Teos, what you just said about, and, and Brandis, what you, you as well just said about this chapter being rewritten or expanded upon and added to in the future books, that actually speaks very well to the number of topics that this particular book, not even this, just this chapter, but this entire book hits on and then doesn't have the word count available to really elaborate on. And that's why that chunk is now talked about in Xanathar's or got a whole chapter in, you know, Tasha's or is discussed in, you know, acquisitions Inc. And you know what I mean? Like the, you know, one of the, (laughs) one of the themes that has emerged from through, through these episodes that Brandis and I have been doing is that, you know, word count is a harsh mistress and, (laughs) and this book suffers from that more than any other book in fifth edition. I I, I will say, I I think that they did not have, they had not yet hit upon the ideas that were going to make the Xanathar's downtimes. And, and, you know, You, you can't have every good idea first. Some of them don't come yeah, to you. Yeah, yeah. And, 
Right. And I I don't mean it as, oh, when they were writing this chapter, they had it in their head, oh, we're going to produce a book with two whole chapters about this in the future. Yeah. But I, I yeah. think that they were trying to uh, put things in this book that they could mention, give a tiny introduction to, and then if, if the edition is popular and lasts long enough, maybe we'll get back around to it, or maybe we'll address it in a particular adventure, or um, maybe, you know, you know I mean, what I mean? If we want to talk about how much of an upgrade the uh, 4E DMG2 is to all of 4E DMG writing oh, right. as compared to just the 4E DMG1, I mean, th- they've never stopped. Right. right? Uh, and yeah. like the, the second ed blue covers are this huge upgrade to just the Second at DMG, even but though I, the second at DMG is I have an opinion oh, for on sure. that, <laughs> yeah. which is that <laughs> the 4A DMG, if I look at it, you know, if, if I look at its table of contents and if I read it, it feels to me like a cohesive work. And then DMG mm-hmm. 2 for 4E adds to it and even rewrites mm-hmm. some pieces, mm-hmm. but it, but it also is its own cohesive whole. And what I feel like when I read the 5E DMG is like it is a collection of inspirational pieces yep. that wasn't tied together with as clear a vision as the 4E DMG is. And, and, and maybe I'm being unkind, yep. but it oh. feels, and I'm not saying the, four, the 5E DMG is bad, but it feels to me like it, it does not have that same uh, overall purpose, synchronicity, whatever you want to call it. doesn't gel. It feels like these disparate parts, like even this chapter, right? It's very short. And yeah, word count is tough, but it's not particularly cohesive to me. Well, uh, one of these books had uh, James Wyatt as its uh, game designer. That would be the 4E DMG. One of them didn't. Like, you know, he's real yeah, good is what I'm saying. That, he's real good. It could also be development. I mean, James Wyatt's name's on the cover, but... but uh, you know, they had pieces from Robin Laws and, and all sorts of people who contributed oh. to them. And at the end of it, it, it feels to me like a well-developed, sanded down work. Uh, I like a lot about the 5e and I like a lot about this chapter. But but I I don't know. I found myself kind of thinking that that um, that there, it, it felt like someone playing around or, or, or a, you know, a scrapbook full of neat things rather than it's like a teaching course. You know what I mean? Something, something like that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and this linking adventures piece, um, this is all valuable information to think about like an episode versus arcs um, and different ideas around adventure seeds. But I would not call this a how to create um, right. your campaign or, or this aspect of your campaign. I think, I think chapters one through three in particular are just like a collection of writing prompts. Mm-hmm. Right. And if what you need is a collection of writing prompts, they're about as good as you're going to find. But th- there's there's not a lot of how-to. Chapter 5 is as much how-to as the book has had so far. Um, yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah. One of, one of my sort of uh, through thoughts with, with all of these chapters has been, who is this written for? Like, what is the, what is the goal of each of these chapters? Who is this written for? In terms of, it's not really a teaching document. And right. if you can accept that it's it's more a work of reference and inspiration rather than a teaching document, the majority of it, because there are a couple of chapters that are that try to teach you things, um, then then it's then this chapter's okay, if you know what I mean. Yeah. 
Because yeah. I, I could see if you expected this chapter to really teach you about how to structure a campaign, how to how to tell the difference between it, you know, or or just defining for us the difference between an adventure and a campaign, or an episodic versus a, a continuous campaign, or something like that. That this this chapter definitely doesn't do that. Especially, I mean, look, you don't have to sell us on the four E DMG and DMG two. I mean, <laughs> I it, know that. we are huge proponents of those those two particular books. Yeah. Um, I try not to compare them to this one, <laughs> right? Because I have such a high opinion of them. Yeah. It, it, so on the positive side, uh, you know, everything in here is good. There's nothing I look at that I go, well, that's bad advice or anything. You know, it's all, it's all good. It's all valuable. Um, like, and, and I think, you know, what this is trying to do and it is the chapter name is between adventures, but it's trying to tell us how to, in between our gaming sessions, not have it feel like it doesn't jive, right? Like one thing doesn't lead to the other. So these are ways to have things lead or, or tie together so that it doesn't feel disparate. Um, and, and so campaign tracking is as ways to create like consistency and help people remember what happened last time. Those are those are all good. Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, it'd be nice if they could tell me how to make myself do it. <laughs> I mean, I well, sure, but I, like I feel about this section the same way I felt about uh, something in the previous chapter, in that it it really just spells out something that. You know, I might read it and go, oh, yeah, well, of course, duh, right? Um, Like, you know, uh, player handouts. Keep a copy of all handouts that you make for your players so that you don't have to remember their contents later. Like, that is such an obvious piece of advice. But do you know what percentage of people probably forget to do that every time, right? Like, they give it to their players or they get, you know, and then it's gone. Uh. Um I don't come here to be attacked like this, Dr. Samuel. <laughs> I can be attacked well, like this anywhere. We had speaking of attacks, we had a conversation on Twitter that happened through Critical Role, right? Where it was, I think it was Critical Role that there was criti- one of the players was criticized for taking notes or something. Like oh my that. god! Yeah, criticizing I mean, oh, really? Rachel for taking notes. Oh god! It, it's it only makes her amazing. Amazing, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, and yeah, it's funny. You're right. This is an interesting piece. There's this whole campaign tracking piece. Um, And I actually thought that Chris Perkins, you know, I don't know if he wrote how much of the book he wrote. He's the main author, but um, he had a section on, on this topic in his Eomandra based series, right? His home campaign based series that he Mm -hmm. did during the four E days. And, and I actually really liked how he, how that worked like that advice, which was sort of like, you know, you write down your introduction to the session on like sort of your session notes for the next session. And it's previously on my campaign name. Here's what happened, right? In a short summary. And then you have these bullets that cover these various topics. And I thought, I thought that was really useful. And, and I didn't feel this was quite useful as, as that advice was. I think that's pretty fair. And I'm not sure why, but, but it, it didn't, you know, I don't know. Well, and I think it's, a little bit unfortunate that D&D hasn't sort of habitually carved out space for uh, incentivizing players to do these things with yeah. inspiration or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm thinking of like Amber Diceless, where 
you where the, the rules specifically encourage the GM to uh, pay players additional experience points in this pseudo competitive tabletop game um, for bringing snacks, for creating poetry and campaign art, and for keeping the logbook yeah. of everything that happens, because uh, it's it, it it's the thing that improves an Ember game. Well, it improves a D&D game too, obviously, but you know, um, well, I mean, but now you're, but now you're getting into like, it has to be something other than experience rewards because most, you know, many tables use milestones and all the characters level up at the same XP rate. So the XP, the individual XP reward doesn't work the same way that it did. No, I, I agree. And, and I've never been a fan of, players actually advancing at different rates anyway, that that's not super fun to me. Something we did along those lines, something we did along those very lines of that idea of, you know, who's taking notes, who's tracking things, uh, was in the Acquisitions Inc. book, which was, you know, my right, yeah. one of my contributions to, to 5e. Uh, we, we talked about how players tend to have this certain type of behavior and how do we codify it? And this all came out of Jerry Holkin's brain and what he was running with the C team. But so it was really his vision of, of players having not just their class and all the other things we're familiar with, but, but a role. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of in view, it was viewed both envisioned both as a corporate role, you know, your job title, if you will, but also a, a, it, it harkens back to those things we tend to do at the table. So you have the person who makes decisions. Right. Like there's always that person, you know, one or two mm-hmm. people in the group that, boy, they like to make that decision. And so there's a decisionist as a role. And there's that person who wants to track all the gold and all the items and decide what <laughs> gets done with them. And that's your hordes person. Right. And right. And it was down, you know, the person who maps, the person who keeps all the notes. Right. And 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 it was funny to kind of flesh those out and give them real roles, right? Where you can yeah. now use that book and you can take on these things formally. And when I ran this for a group of middle school students, it was hilarious to see how cementing those roles would empower those various characters. So like the person who was the um, hordes person, when, when they heard that they could be the hordes person, I mean, their eyes were just <laughs> lighting up. They're like, yes, I am formally this. It's cemented. And then I, I, I made up a tracking form so that each session they could write down like what they got or what they spent. Oh, my God. You know, it was like giving a, I don't know, math geek an Excel for the first time or something. Right? It was just like a dream come true. It was so funny. Yep. Teach them double entry bookkeeping early and uh, <laughs> ruin them forever. That's the way. Well, as Brandis, it's funny that you that you mentioned inspiration as the kind of reward, like you know yeah. that D and D hasn't gone in big on that. That it kind of it's in the player's handbook, but they don't really they don't commit. Yeah, they they yeah. didn't commit to it as a main sort of widget in the game. Mm-hmm. So, but what's funny is in this very chapter, they actually mention it uh, in the in the performing sacred rights section yeah. right, character yeah. who spends 10 days performing sacred rights should gain inspiration at the start of the day for the next two to six days. Like, and that's such a weird reward. Right. Isn't that yeah. an odd reward? And in fact, I read it and I was like, you know, uh, don't, I don't like it, but 
here's the thing. If I did use inspiration a great deal as a reward style thing, like what we're talking about, reward's kind of the wrong word, but in this case, it is the actual reward for doing that particular behavior mm-hmm. during the downtime. Yeah. But it would, it would probably feel different to me if, if, if it, they did really lean into inspiration as a huge component of the game. And, you know, even now after seven years, it still feels very tacked on. So when they mention it as, oh, here's this great reward to give this PC for choosing to do this, this duty, it just feels, it's like out of place almost in my head, but yeah. we're not quite there yet. But it's funny that you mentioned that. Cause I, yeah, no, no. Uh, like it, it doesn't feel less weird. Right. <laughs> Um, anyway, um, after campaign tracking and like, as you say, everything in campaign tracking is correct. Uh, they just sort of stop at the descriptive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's more like it's definitional and not, uh, you know, let me give you some advice about how to do this. So try this, try that, try this, try that. Right. Here's a glossary of things you're going to hear about in online conversations about running games. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. Yeah. Like yeah. not unhelpful to a first timer, but um, uh, like for obvious reasons, dead text for the three of us. Right? Yeah, and that's and, and that's okay. That's where you get to like who's this designed for? Because to me, the, this chapter so far has felt very high level new person, right. and yet I think as a new person, I would want more guidance than this. Mm-hmm. Sure, uh, I, I don't disagree with that. Uh, we get to recurring expenses, uh, which I think we touched on. I hope we touched on when we did um, it, it, the, the treasure economy of D and D as a as a series mm-hmm. in a, a lo- in the yep. long long ago of the show. Yeah, um, and this is uh, how to have hirelings and pay them and hemorrhage money, uh, which is all to the good. Uh, hemorrhaging money is good for you in Indian in, in fifth ed, especially because <laughs> what else were you going to do? Yeah. Spending um, gold is generally a problem unless you use a lot of downtime. Uh, so uh, I have opinions on this whenever you want them. <laughs> yeah, well, but by all means, bring it on. <laughs> so this is a, a section that I looked at very closely uh, when we were working on the acquisitions incorporated project, because you know, anyone who follows Ack Inc knows that it's all about a sort of fake you know, business. It's the idea of running your business uh, as part of your campaign concept and working for a, a sort of fairly evil corporation. Um, and you are a franchisee of it. So what we wanted to say, is, what we wanted to explore is, well, how could this book help you do what you see these people do on the live stage and, and streaming games and so on um, to have kind of your business that you're running. And when I mm-hmm. looked at this chapter, it was really kind of interesting because I, I found it, it didn't seem to work for how most people would use it. Right. So at, at first blush, it, it looks okay. It's got like this table of like, Oh, an Abbey costs 20 gold a day to run or, or a keep mm-hmm. is a hundred. And then it's got these hirelings, but there are a couple of things with this that I, the, the rules are light. I like that. Um, but they they almost are so light that I don't know what to do with them. 
Yep. Uh, whereas in like an AD&D, you'd have such detail on building a castle that you'll probably never finish. So it would just occupy your time <laughs> going right. through that exercise mm-hmm. and your player would never come back to bother you about it. Uh, and and there was, they'd spin off a whole separate uh, blue cover book and yeah. second ed, the castle guide. Yeah, mm-hmm. and third edition too. And, and um, Stronghold Builders Guide book for sure. Yeah, yeah. I looked at those, <laughs> as you might imagine, when I was working on this subject. La, 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 um, birthright. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, it, it's sort of like, what do you do with, okay, we'd like to have a large castle. Great, it costs you 400 gold a day. You employ 200 people that are skilled and 100 that are unskilled. Um, that doesn't tell me anything other than sure. obviously 400 gold a day. Um, so there's some accounting involved. But it, it, it's, it really doesn't say how this should feel or what it should do and and where it really falls apart is that almost all of your games are going to be taking you away from whatever this is that you bought. I think that's And fair. it even, it even mentions it too. It even says, you know, something about uh, the characters are usually, you know, not there and you can like uh, basically designate an employee to, pay everybody's wages or something. (laughs) Um, You know, the other thing that what it doesn't do is other than like, I know on the next page, there's a chart about how much it costs initially to build the thing and how long it takes. But the other thing it doesn't do is it doesn't give you any benefits to to this, to having a castle or an abbey or expanding the temple or what's the difference between a large temple and a small temple and, you know, whatever, whatever. And it also doesn't give any consequences, right? Like there's, there's just really almost nothing here. Right. This this could be, well, I say this could be better because I've seen it done better in other editions of D and D, where this can be used to drive story. Mm-hmm. It's it, yeah. th- there's no actual help in driving story with this content, um, and the the building a stronghold section that you're, you're talking about on the next page uh, is no better, mm-hmm. right. uh, and a. a, a as as Matt Colville is going to point out in um, Strongholds and Followers, a construction time of 1,200 days is uselessly long by anyone's standards. You could have just yeah. said, don't. Right. Right. I mean, and even, instead. you know, to get into that downtime activity, um, the first is I would say that that's not ideal as a downtime activity because – to me, a downtime activity is a thing that you'll want to periodically do versus a thing you do once mm. in your campaign. And I'm not going to build multiple Maybe. castles. At least I sure hope not. That sounds bizarre. Uh, uh, well, I mean, if you're uh, Edward the First, you certainly do. You have Wales <laughs> to conquer, my I'm friend. I'm not saying there isn't precedent. <laughs> but even like, you know, I, I, you know, you could just see someone going like, all right, all right, castle sounds ridiculous. I don't have 1,200 days. G- great. Let's, you know, build a small castle. Oh, well, it's 400 days. 400 Mm -hmm. days like a lot of major campaigns take place in under a month like what are we okay how about a fortified tower oh that's 100 days like come on (laughs) yeah well and Um, with no handling for um i'm a magic it because i'm a magic guy like we've now got spells that will do this in um possibly more time but less sort of engagement. I'm thinking there are at least a, a number of spells that are do this every day for a year and well, as 365 days, longer than some of these, shorter than others. Um, well, well let me just say if you've if you've got five hundred thousand gold pieces 
to put towards building a palace or a large castle, you can maybe afford the two wizards that can help you build that castle, right? Well, I mean, I'm running the adventure that gives you that, so sure, why not? (laughs) (laughs) What I also find interesting is a lot of this dovetails into the player's handbook, and, and it does you know, reference the player's handbook. So in recurrent expenses, it'll say, you know, hey, uh, you can, these hirelings see the player's handbook for a definition of what they are. But Mm -hmm. none of it's really particularly useful. Like if you look in the player's handbook, well, okay, a skilled (laughs) person is proficient Mm -hmm. in one or more skills. Otherwise, you're someone who can just kind of move boxes around or, you know, do things that don't require any particular skill. Um, And, you know, to me... I would have loved to see the split be for the player's handbook, encourage players to interact with the world and the environment and tell them they can do that. Mm-hmm. And then this, tell me how to adjudicate that. Right. And we don't get that. Instead, we just get a, like a useless cross reference. Well, and what's also interesting is they talk about hirelings in the NPC chapter, a couple chapters previous to this. And they don't even ref- they don't even say you know if you want to learn more about you know hirelings and how to how to make them work in your campaign you know go back three chapters. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's hardly the first book first book we've got covered that uh, where the left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing. Sure. <laughs> uh, right, but, but I am going to seize this opportunity to plug some of my own work because I am that guy. Yeah. Uh, if you want to uh, see some expanded rules on how to progress through society and recruit hirelings. Go by Level Up Your Background on the DMs Guild by me, edited by Stephen nice. Chaney. Thank you. Yeah, and we looked at this as part of that work that we were doing for Acquisitions Incorporated because yeah. you wanted to feel like you're part of an entity. You wanted to be able to launch something. And so whatever it is that you want to do, um, there must be some engine by which you can resolve that and interact with um, the environment. And w- what we ended up doing was what's called a franchise, but you could call it anything. It can be a business, an organization, whatever it is. And the rules in the book do what, you know, at least in our opinion, these rules could have done and maybe should have done, which is to say, what can you do with these people, right? And and what we did was tie into the very next piece that we're going to talk about, which is downtime activities, right? Because you are often not going to be in this place, so the place must be able to do things. And when I was playtesting all of the, the creations we did, uh, I was running Tomb of Annihilation. And one thing that happens in Tomb of Annihilation is a very, very common thing. We show up in a place that's supposed to feel like home to us. In this case, it's Port Nianzaru. It's the only city in this entire little peninsula. And then we go off into tombs and jungles and we may not really come back after the first few forays. We kind of just proceed onwards and eventually we're in a giant death dungeon. And yet there are all these plots that take place in the Nzaru and we're supposed to care about it. We're supposed to care about what the merchant princes are doing and all these other aspects. So as part of the play test of what we did in Acquisitions Inc., and my players were not, I couldn't tell them what I was doing, but what I would just say is, is okay, you know, you're expressing interest to this. What do you want to do about that? And they would kind of say, well, like, like there was one of them that um, was exploring what is the God that I follow? That was part of their premise. They didn't know which God they followed. So I said, okay, um, you know, you're starting to think that maybe it's Savras. What do you want to do with that? He's like, well, you know, maybe I want to like start 
proselytizing in the streets, you know, get some people to worship. And I'm like, well, you guys did wipe out that Thean that had a, a manor. You could take that over and, and do that there. Great, says the player. And they start doing that. And I said, you know, it'll cost you a little bit each month. Um, it would probably be better if you could get someone to run it for you because you're not going to be there all the time. Oh, great. So they hire a mayordomo. The mayordomo, who was given to them by one of the merchant princes creating an alliance, now is my voice into this organization for them. And what I would do is every session we'd say, hey, you know, you've got these sending stones. Let's check in with the mayordomo and see what they're doing. And there would be this back and forth, right? Oh, yeah, we've been training the uh, priests. uh, You know, the acolytes are coming up. And then I would have them interact and do things, which is essentially downtime, right? Mm -hmm. So they would essentially do a a downtime role-playing activity with a few roles to see how is everybody at home doing with your your causes. The result of it was really sweet because they could now impact Portney and Zaru while they're in the Tomb of the Nine Gods, right? Nice. And, yeah. and that was neat. We could do all these plots and eventually they liked some of the, of what was going on in their little home base in Port Nanzaro well enough that we actually created a B team of <laughs> first it was just like simple NPCs using monster stats, NPC stats. Uh, and then they began to explore areas of the jungle they hadn't been to with those. And so we would sometimes alternate play sessions, which was a great way to not feel like you're just locked into this endless dungeon. You know, you could be outdoors doing stuff through your hirelings so, you know, all of that is just, I, I share all that because this, ex, this chapter is extremely limited in what you can do with recurring expenses. And I almost think that they should have just cut it because to, to, to state a table of costs per day and, and, and not give any guidance as to what you do with this stuff. I don't, I don't know why it's there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I am using so sort of using this table very notionally rather than sort of more literally mm-hmm. in my own campaign because um, the, the PCs are part of a, a mercenary guild and uh, it, it really behaves more like a keeper small castle than a guild hall, comma town or city. Um, but for really a lot of the campaign, I've been able to have the people who are running the guild sort of lean on the PCs and say, Hey, we need you to go bring in some money. we got to keep the lights on here, bring in some money. Yeah. And so I'm not tracking a um, hundred gold or in that campaign, hundred silver a day because I have got things to do with my time that are not that. Um, but you know, okay. They need uh, 36,500 silver a year to keep the lights on is not actually like unhelpful to me. Right. Um, But I definitely take, I take your point about they have in every way failed to like mention the story hooks here um, that, that would really elevate this to useful to most GMs. I I also, I'm not sure that these numbers on this table have any basis. In fact, Oh, 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 no, sir. No. So I I guess for me, you know, this, this sort of goes along with my comment about the campaign tracking uh, list of, you know, elements. And that is that I don't think, well, let me put it this way. If they took this chapter out, 
it would be an obvious miss, right? Like it, like I would look at this and say, I really like that they included downtime in the player's handbook. Why didn't they do anything in the Dungeon Master's Guide? And, and right? to be clear, I'm just saying the recurring expenses piece, that that small recurring expenses chunk, to me, I don't know that it does a lot. I, I, you guys might disagree. I don't. No, I, I, I do actually agree with you. I like the table. I feel like the, the four paragraphs or whatever that go with it can be put into the, you know, rather than having a separate uh, heading for downtime activities, put the recurring expenses portion presented differently in the downtime activities portion. So I, I am going to at least float the idea here in this lovely podcast of ours that this really might be here to uh, welcome uh, welcome home people who stayed with first and second ed and yeah, were maybe. returning to D&D after decades away either because they're stuck with first and second ed or because they stopped playing entirely uh, because while it is much briefer and less story rich than what uh, Gary Gygax or uh, Zeb Cook wrote in those dmgs uh it it rhymes you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and so I, I wonder if that is the thought of even having it here um because lord knows none of the published adventures are going to do you a solid and like center that downtime play mm-hmm. well and, and and again not even downtime but just i don't know like if I decide, I you know, if I say to my DM, "Hey, I really want to take over that estate," and okay, that costs me ten gold a day. Um, I I don't know what that particular campaign's economy is, and and to me, this is where I, as a designer, I, I I don't love this approach because the economy of what it should cost to maintain a thing is, I think, very campaign dependent. And, and in a book that's about lessons, to me, that was an important lesson that, that I think could have been said instead of this table. And, and there can be some sort of guidance, um, sort of like in the running a, or building a, 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 the building activity. Um, it, it has at one point a, a sort of range it gives you. Somewhere in here, it gives you a range for something. And I'm like, that's a better approach. Like if, just say it can go between X and Y. But to just state that, you know, you would have to have 400 gold a day I don't know where that number comes from because there are all kinds of different, you know, I don't know. <laughs> it's an economy that doesn't exist. So I agree that the numbers are kind of um, kind of odd figments. And I don't think you could do sort of um, basic algebra to make any of it make sense. I mean, but when you contrast, contrast that with, uh, for example, this entry about carousing, Right, and it, and it includes a, a D100 table, right? So you roll a D100, you add your level, and it gives you a, a result of your carousing for that day or that week or whatever. And it ranges from, you know, you behaved so badly in town that you got thrown in jail or you had to pay a fine uh, to uh, you, you made a small fortune gambling, right? And that is that that table is very gameable 
right? Like that's very much a great example of, ooh, so depending on my campaign, if I have a town that's really, you know, conservative and very strict in their laws and whatnot, I can have a different table. And if I have a town that's known for its, you know, party life, right, then I I'll, hey, I can have this table or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, and totally. it makes you feel like it's usable and you can also sort of tweak it to match what you want. But when you look at the building a stronghold table with the, the costs and, and number of days, and when you look at the maintenance costs table, it feels very, very much like here, here it is. Here's the facts and no advice, no mention of, hey, you might need to change this for your campaign or, hey, these costs might depend on the overall economy in the town or how big the city is or – you know what I mean? There's a little bit of that in the text. Um, a tiny bit though. A large estate might cost 5,000 gold pieces or more if it can be, if it can be bought at all. I, I do want to say I think that uh, getting really deep into – a campaign treats uh, a gold piece as a different amount of value mm-hmm. depending on how much like the GM puts in so you adjust the costs. I'm a little allergic to that. Yeah. Right? Um, it isn't that I think, you know, a gold piece is a definite enough value that you could practically uh, like track it against the US dollar. Just you need one, you need one fixed point of meaning. Or the other, mm-hmm. yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it, it's to me. I agree. I agree. I, th- I think this is a these these numbers are ones that are hard to to know what they float against. And sure, yeah. And the uh, and 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 I think that maybe that's not the question that should be asked. And of course, I'm biased because the, the the work that we did, what we tried to do with it was to say, don't really worry about building it. Um. Wor- worry about what it does, what it means to you, what it enables, and assume and, and then track the fortunes that go from month to month. And so what we did in, in Acquisitions Inc. is that the idea is that to build a place, you will partner with somebody um, that covers your costs and that helps you build it. And that can be any entity the DM or the players like, right? It can be Acquisitions Incorporated. It can be uh, a guild. It can be the noble that you befriended, you know, wh- whatever. You can link it into the story however it makes sense. And because that's the reality of what would have to happen, right? A bunch of adventurers are in town. They want to build a keep on the hill. They're going to have to deal with somebody. And so get the town to do it, right? Maybe the town starts working on it and, and so on. Um, but as part of this concept of what you're doing, it's going to happen and it's going to happen rather quickly because you want to enjoy it. And then what we're going to do is we're going to use a downtime activity that's a different version of what we'll see here called running a business so that it has a little more swing to it around the fortunes that are happening month to month. And then there's some activities to support that. But but um, to me, this this building a stronghold uh, to me is, 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 is kind of creating the wrong uh, situation for a DM and for the players as well, because it, it says what it says to me is your goal is if you want a palace, go find 500,000 gold pieces, wait 1200 days. <laughs> and then yeah. it doesn't tell me what happens, right? Nor does yeah. it tell me whether 500,000 gold pieces is a good number and how long it should take or what level it should be or anything. And, and I don't, I don't know why we just found 500. Let's say we do come up with it. What do I do with that? 
Right. Like, I, I guess I have a, a little bit of sympathy for this thing does what it does in the narrative. It doesn't <laughs> give you a new power. It doesn't um, uh, give you fresh breath or mm-hmm. uh, make your spells hit harder. Right. Um, but it's but, interesting to see, you know, what Chris Perkins did when he ran the Acquisitions Inc. group is, you know, he gives them a blimp and their base is a mobile blimp. And they are using that in really funny ways, right? They're fighting <laughs> dragons, they're repelling cultists. And I think that's kind of what what people actually have in their mind when they're thinking of like a business is I want to do yeah. daring do. I want to do cool things. Like if I have a temple, like I want the area around me to change because of it. If I own a outpost or fort, I probably want it to be challenged. If I own a shop, I want to see its fortunes grow or maybe fail at times, right? And and yeah. that's where I'm like, oh, none of that is actually coming out of this. Well, right. Everything would and have to be invented. Like, based on my experience of players, you would need a new uh, Acquisitions Incorporated party member who is your architect. Not just a mapper, but someone who <laughs> yeah. wants to... Uh, like design every five foot square of, of that uh, floor space and tell me about the, the hardness of every brick. Yeah. Um, but we've already mentioned the stronghold brothers guy book once. So, well, and, and to wizard's credit, I do like what they did with um, dragon heist, right? Where they, they do, th- this is an example of that, right? Do you have to build this tavern? Nope. Somebody's going to give you the deed, uh, but you're going to have to maintain it. And, there isn't a whole lot to support it, but there are some pieces there, right? And and that is a, a nice showcase, you know, whichever uh, adventure writers worked on that particular chapter. Like, I, I really like what that does as a template for this. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, I mean, I, I honestly think that, um, you know, this is, this is, I, it's not that I disagree with what you're saying, but, this information on this page the, the, for building a stronghold and how much it costs to buy the land and how much to maintain it is specifically for those that want their character to do this. And they, they don't necessarily want the, I have a blimp and I'm floating around during the adventure doing cool stuff. Right. I think there are a ton of those people that that want the blimp, right? <laughs> but I yeah. think I think this particular section, and this is probably why it's so problematic, and we've been talking about it for twenty minutes, is that this section is not really for that set of players. Well, right. Like what it needs to say is, look, fighters, you'd better have fifty thousand gold pieces by ninth level, or <laughs> so help me, <laughs> uh, because it does give a nod to. The, yeah. the first and second edition mm-hmm. um, name level stuff by talking about, especially after 10th level, um, it's not an unusual for adventurers to gain possession of a castle, a tavern, or another piece of property. Um, like, there, there is still a nod to all of that here, and it's just sort of not presented as exactly why you would do that unless the promise of the thing in the narrative in itself motivates you, which I'll be honest, it does for me. Like I I am that player who is happy enough to have gotten the DM to agree that I made a permanent mark in the landscape. I've certainly done that too. 
I've built taverns yeah. and things like that. Yeah. yeah. Here's, here's the other thing. Here's where they have another uh, sort of missed opportunity because in chapter seven at the end, it talks about, you know, parcels of land uh, as, you know, as, yeah, right? as treasure, right. And, yeah. and titles and strongholds as treasure. And they don't even reference that here. And perhaps, <laughs> perhaps that's what it's missing is that the, the, the stuff that says, Hey, by the way, if you want to really make this part of your game, you know, instead of making the, the players barter to buy the $5,000 piece of land, 5,000 gold piece, piece of land to build the castle on, how about you have the King award it to them because they did this, awesome deed right like yeah, and right. Yeah, that's sure. where that's where the, the interconnectedness is yep. and that's what that's what i mean when i say not every player wants the blimp right they right. want the hey i got the land as a reward or hey i you know i was told yep. that i can if i go clear that land i can build my tower on it or whatever yeah you know the just to go back to to downtime itself right like what mm-hmm. i love about down, downtime I think downtime is very revolutionary. Um, it's a very neat idea that that this DMG puts out there, and then it gets refined in other products. Um, I feel like downtime is a little bit like skill challenges, and that if you look at skill challenges in the 4E DMG, it's sort of a nightmare how it's laid out. Mm-hmm. Although I'd say downtime's better, but um, but <laughs> but it's it's a non-perfect layout that then over time people start playing with it and go, wait, this actually can be really sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately <laughs> we should say that the DMG of all these downtime activities, only I think three of them survive untouched. Like everything else yeah. has been revised. Right. Well, so, so your point about um, the skill challenges plus downtime activities really makes me, it, it reminds me that, there's this very important indie game that is kind of uh, taking skill challenges and improving that, and then taking downtime activities and improving that, bolting them together. Congratulations, you have an awesome game. That game is called Blades in the Dark. <laughs> because they they like realized, hey, you know what? Skill challenges, great idea. Let's add clocks so that you can actually track what's happening and have stuff change. Okay, so big projects to improve your, your gang skip or your whole gang or whatever. Yes. Go like that's. Yeah. I don't know. There, there's, there's a lot there that, uh, where D and D needs to maybe really look at, uh, like reincorporating DNA that has been refined elsewhere. This downtime chapter says, or downtime piece says some, some things that I really appreciate, which is that if you allow your characters to tie into the world, they will care more about it, right? They become invested mm-hmm. in the campaign Absolutely. world because they're interacting with it and engaging with it. And, and to me, that is the, the godsend of downtime. And, and, and I'm super love that it appears in this book and somewhat in the player's handbook um, because it, it's really true. Like when you do this with your players and give them this opportunity, it's awesome. Unfortunately, this book doesn't truly give us examples of how to do it. Right. Um, right. And the activities are a little wonky. That's why they all got revised. But, but that concept is sweet. So, so I'm running a, a birthright 5e campaign nice. with a, a fan conversion 
done by one of the players. Um, and so uh, it's birthright. It's very much mostly downtime with occasional bursts of adventuring happening. So the large amount of time passes in fairly few sessions, right? And so like, improving the kingdom is the main project. Occasionally you have to go stab something to make that happen. Um, and, and, you know, the adventures then take a bunch of sessions so that the actual balanced number of sessions adventures most of the sessions. But, you know, we, we'll then have a, um, uh, a domain turn. And um, suddenly you know, three or six months will go by, right? And that doesn't feel bad at all. And that can work in other D&D campaigns. It's just not the norm. Um, but my own campaign is starting to trend in the direction of that being a possibility as uh, a couple of PCs have found themselves at the head of armies and they have this revolution to carry off. Yeah, I don't, I actually think that uh, D&D 5e, the, the, or Wizards, however you want to look at it, that there's a disservice being done in not using this more widely. Uh, it's oh. used a little bit in dragon heist that feels sort of shoehorn uh, it appears in ghost of salt marsh but a lot of the 5e adventures would actually really be better with a small piece that gives guidance on using downtime in the adventure um i, I, I used that. it sure you know in, in tomb of annihilation uh but you know rhyme of the frost maiden uh there, oh, there it, these, it would greatly enhance that adventure right yep yeah and and that's where if, if this had had the guidance, then you might not need it. But I feel like because the guidance isn't here, we sort of do need something in various adventures to, to help players see it because, because it's sweet. Like when I, um, when I ran the Ack Inc. adventure for the middle school kids, it was really funny to see that phase of play come in. And the way I would, I would choose to run it is, is based on the adventure, which the adventure has you know, sort of what you're doing. And then at the end of each chapter, there's a downtime section where you are progressing things in various ways. And sometimes it's a little freeform or sometimes it's more directed, like you're trying to figure out what this artifact that we got did or who is the bad person? Where do we go next? So sometimes there's a need for it and sometimes it's a little more open. But every time it would be hilarious. Like and maybe these are middle school kids, right? So like one kid would be like, I want to find better cheese. <laughs> nice. Right? I'm like, okay, which downtime activity is that? Think, Dennis, think. And, and then other times it'd be like, well, you know, we rescued this little dragon. I want to help it. Okay, let's work on that. And, but what would come out of it would just be this gorgeous role playing, right? And, and this yep. super fun creating. And then sometimes one player doing one thing would cause another to, to you know, play off of that. Uh, and I'm, other times I'd just do independent things but it was such great play coming out of that and and exactly as this says in this chapter like it would engage the players because now they cared about that world right they were a part of it they're interacting with it and they're not just going from dungeon to dungeon the the town means something the world means something because of this kind of interaction right and and that's kind of what i was trying to talk about with is an adventure discrete object Hmm. because it wasn't in that case Right. It was you move to the next player, ask what thing they're working on, and, and you play that out. So, like, I talk about the, the LARP that um, I co directed on this show a fair amount. 
Um, and I'm going to do that now, which Sam can cut if it winds up sucking. Um, that's fine. Um, oh, I'm going to make Teos listen anyway. Sorry, buddy. Yeah. Um, so um, there are uh, there are three fundamental units of like time and action in in a LARP. So you've got um, a module. A module is a, a very discrete adventure. Um, it it has a definite beginning, middle, and end. Um, and then you are no longer on the module, and you are back in normal time of gameplay, right? Where just you, you might still be in fights. You you interact with other players. You interact with NPCs, whatever. Um, so you've got the module. You've got normal time. And then you've got the discrete object that is the event as a whole. So that's um, about 36 hours of play. It's running from about midnight on Friday night to about noon on Sunday. Um, And so um, once the event is over, uh, but you have the, the between event span, which is very, very fungible in the way LARPs use it. Mm -hmm. Like it, it, doesn't mean anything. It could be any amount of time the LARP says it is. They usually just stick to the convention that's about the same amount of time that it is in real life because it's convenient. Um, so games added downtime actions. And the game that we ran, Dust to Dust, had this incredibly elaborate approach to uh, downtime actions. Not that they were necessarily mechanically elaborate in a player-facing way, in fact, we hid most of the mechanics from the players. But they could perform, perform spell research. They could investigate things. They could go try to make money. They could do extra crafting. All of this stuff. And uh, most of the players figured out uh, immediately that researching spells was the place to be. Spells or crafting formulas or whatever. And so, like, uh, I have a lot of feelings about down, downtime activities. Yeah. And like these staying kind of kind of high level is a little weird to me. I would love to see more clocks for here's how you progress toward that goal. Here's how you like, I just, I guess I would really love to see even a, a generic scaffolding of uh, here's how to set a goal. Here's how to talk about progress toward it. And here's how to have the player make that progress in a way that maybe includes some moments of dice tension or not, whatever, really, because crafting is not it. It's just not. Well, and now you also know why in this chapter, the carousing table is really the only one with uh, immediately usable, gameable content. Right. Yeah. Um, Like running a business is something you could almost get to usable game, game content with if you were willing to like um, take that as a, a story seed, but it's not easy by any stretch of the imagination. Well, and that's what I, one thing I found super interesting is, is how varied these are in approach. And when I ran Dragon Heist, which was the first time, uh, and I think we we're actually play testing it, but um, when I, it was the first time I'd used downtime and, and I wasn't running it, but um but, you know, we all poured through the various downtime rules and it was really fascinating to see how different the evolution is. Like Xanathar's adds this whole angle around rivals, which is super tasty. Um, and 
the activities in, in, in Xanathars tend to look a little bit more like carousing. And some of them have a really lovely story progression where they'll sort of do like, you must do this check, which determines a thing. And now we're going to further qualify it with this other check, or you must win, you know, best of three or something like that. And so what that allowed us to do when we were using the downtime rules, especially with those kinds of activities, is we could better tell a story with them. So if you look at carousing, you know, you spend money, you go out on, I guess, some number of events and you get this result. And this is where it feels to me a little bit like the original skill challenge rules where it's like, everybody roll dice. Okay, this is what happened. <laughs> That's not ideal play, right? It's really far away from the from the LARP you're, just, you're just, uh, describing. And carousing is a little bit like that. Like, imagine I'm the paladin and I decide to go mix it up around town and gather info. And you tell me I was jailed for 1d4 days. <laughs> right. And I'd be like, oh, no. what? <laughs> <laughs> and obviously DMs, we can interpret it. But when you get to like Xanathars or the, the downtime activities in At Gank, you know, we find that they have more of a progression of, of these various pieces. And we can tell stories with that. We can say, all right, you know, you get to the uh, wrestling pit that, you know, from, and we might even say you have to learn where the rest you know, the underground fight club is. All right. But you finally get in there and you're assessing the various fighters, you know, give me an insight check to get a read on them or whatever other skill. All right. Now we've gotten a certain success. All right. Let's take it to another level. You get into the ring. You're trying to learn their strategy. And then finally, let's do more of this contest of the athleticism or whatever it is as we actually fight. And those three things tell a really cool story. And, and that's sure. what we found. When we were running these downtime rules is the better ones really helped us do that. Um, I think my only thing with the Xanathar's model I think the only risk with them is the same fundamental risk that you faced in fourth edition skill challenges of uh, only engaging with the wireframe and not like mm-hmm. putting meat on the bones. Yeah. And, and nothing here tells you how to do that, right? Like I want to craft mm-hmm. a magic item. Uh, you'll do this. A magic item will pop out. Congratulations. Your magic item was yeah. born. It, it, you're, you're going to put <laughs> money into this vending machine extremely slowly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> extremely slowly <laughs> so speaking of of crafting i i'm sure we can just uh skip that section because brandis probably has nothing to say about it. um everything i have to say can be summed up as an aneurysm so let's move on <laughs> so for for teos's benefit i care a lot about crafting because it's what something i did professionally as a, a, a video game writer for many years uh-huh. and i care um, and this does not scratch the itch. I mean, the, so uh, I think it suffers from a similar thing to what we were talking about earlier, that it's very simple. It's very concise, but, um, that means it's pretty shallow, right? Uh, yeah. And so it would see. It would feel like a an. You would feel the absence if they didn't actually have anything in here about it. So they have to put something. So yeah. they chose. They chose quick, easy, light information. Very uh, simple, simplistic sort of system, so that you've got something. And and costs rigged to make sure you never do that. Right. Well, of course. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, and Xanathar's redoes this and 
adds much more flavor to it, right? I don't know mm-hmm, that I love right. that version either, but I, at least that's one that I can say. I, I like what you're trying to do here where you're telling me that maybe I need the essence of a water weird for Mariner's armor and, you know, these various angles and, and yeah. It's right. more interesting, more fun. Uh, uh, yeah, my only issue with that is that going on a quest to craft a magic item doesn't feel enough different from going on a quest to have a magic item. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it's sort sure. of uh, putting the window dressing of crafting on it um, isn't enough. Well, yeah, and that's where I'd love guidance for all these types of things, right? And, and guidance is word count, so it's hard. That's why it's not there a lot of times. Yep. But yep, yep. but it is that kind of thing of, you know, if you have a character who's really like, I want this item, then this is an an option in your arsenal, right? You can choose yep. to go down this route if you so choose, though I would probably not go down this route. Uh, right. Um, I, I Writing a crafting system that suits all of the things I want from it for a tabletop system without also stopping play for everyone for half an hour uh, it is it is my personal white whale. <laughs> uh, I, I I have this series of ideas that are getting me closer, but I'm not there yet, and it makes me mad. Hell's heart, I stab at the idea. These things are hard. Yep. Um, I always recall some analysis that uh, Blog of Holding did on the running a business table uh, in what had to be. Uh, late middle 2014 I mean the game had just come out and they crunched a bunch of numbers and said this ooh, oh no this does not suit the fiction that we want where it, there's a benefit to having a very tiny company but growing the company is yeah. no help whatsoever so we, we redid it, uh, uh-huh. it with the Ack Inc. rules um, we, we created our own version of it um, that you have to do every month. And what I found was that the behavior, I liked the behavior it created. And 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 I like to sometimes just look at the end game. Like it, I, I don't necessarily yeah. care what the rules are if my behavior and end game work. And, and what the end game was, players are super incentivized to have a couple of people do downtime on this activity. So they, which meant some people were running the business every month or were doing things for the business and they would describe the things they were doing for their business. And this is again, my middle school game. So their thing was that they built a curio shop as a giant tower that looked like the Doofenshmirtz incorporated building on (laughs) wheels. So it was like, you're like when you go to Disney and you see the store that sells stuff, it was that for adventuring stuff, but on wheels and moving around with them. And they were super excited by this. I mean, so happy. And and they would every month take it very seriously to be like, okay, a couple of us. And, and it's hard to do this with middle school students to get them motivated like this. But they would. They would be like, all right, how about the two of you, you guys, you know, work on making this place successful. And they would. And they would lean heavily into it. And almost every month was a great success. And they could not have been happier. You know, sometimes you think, oh, well, there has to be this chance of failure. Oh, man, they were so happy succeeding. And I'd say the same was true of the adults that I did in my Tomb of Annihilation campaign. It wasn't quite the same system at that time, 
But it was a similar effect where often what they would be doing, there had been a pirate arc in our story. So they would be sending their pirate ships, which they did not call pirate ships, but let's be honest, that's what they were, <laughs> to uh, seek commerce on the open seas. And and it was so fun to see how excited they'd get about what kind of plunder or they got or didn't get each time. And 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 that's where, that's, I think, the promise of a system like this. I, I, you know, I don't, that's why we revised this version. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, because the thing is, unless it's going to actually be an adventure, then having it have a big failure is tough, right? Like it doesn't actually enhance the game in any way, unless there's going to be an adventure surrounding resolving whatever the issue is, you know, unless the issue is that some rival has come in and sabotaged you and that's why your business failed and the PCs are going to act on that as part of the game. Like as part of the actual, like what they're doing in the next arc of the overall story or whatever, then okay, fine. But to have a f- couple of roles happen in in this system and then just have it ha- say, well, you know, your business lost money and you're going to have to lay off some employees or whatever. I mean, I'm just, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like that doesn't feel fun, right? Like that for something that's supposed to be sort of a side activity that could enhance the game and be fun and make the, make the players really care about the world and feel like it's a living thing to have them have a high possibility of failing is not, that's not going to support doing that activity or choosing to do that activity and believing in that activity very far in the future because it doesn't feel fun anymore. Yeah. And, and nothing here is telling us about those possibilities because I, I like kind right. of everything you right. just mentioned. I'm like, that's awesome. Right. Like, like I, I love the idea that if, you know, you sent your power, your pirate ship out and as a DM, I make up that it failed because forces from Baldur's Gate repelled it. And then later you show up in Baldur's Gate and that has some bite to it. Right. That has consequences. Right. Like that's awesome. Right. That's the stuff of tales. Then. Yeah. Yeah. But I think the rival system in Xanathar's adds that kind of story mm-hmm. potential. Yeah, like even Xanathar doesn't have a chance to tell you how to really like bring that home. But yeah. I, there is some point, and and it's never going to be right for everyone. There's some point where the, the text just has to trust you to be a creative person, right? Sure. What did you all think of like gaining renown, which is one that has not been updated? It's going to play real weird in Dragon Heist, I'll tell you that for sure. <laughs> I I really like – how do I preface this? I love the idea of renown systems and honor systems and piety mm-hmm. systems and anything that allows the PCs to gain or lose reputation based on their own actions. See, that's one of those things mm-hmm. for me that really makes it feel like a living world. You know, it reminds me of way back, you know, when the first Baldur's Gate uh, video game came out, right? And if you went into those towns and you were a total and you killed a bunch of people, you eventually would not be able to enter those towns because they would come chasing after you, right? Because you had such a bad reputation. And I loved that aspect of the game because Mm -hmm. it was as if the world was reacting to my own choices 
in terms of what I chose to have my character do in the game. And therefore that had consequences. And I feel like that is something that's really important to me, especially when I run a homebrew world, right? And so for that reason, I love the idea of things like renown and reputation and piety, um, and honor systems and stuff like that. Just really, I just really love the idea of them. And this is okay. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's all right. It, it doesn't, it's not, uh, it's, it's not as useful to me as I would like it to be. But as with anything else, I think they went for the simplistic putting the idea out there. And if, if a creative person wants to run a game and thinks, Hey, that's a great idea. Like me, you might have a more extensive system like I do. Well, and, and like we talked in chapter one about how the, the renowned system just didn't have enough reward mm-hmm. like tacked onto it. Right. Um, Theros really gets piety right to me. Um, yeah. And Dragon Heist uses much smaller numbers for renown, um, but it is not in the wrong place on its renown system. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even something like Ghosts of Saltmarsh, where they have, if you have a ship and a crew, you know, they give you a, like a crew, a crew score, like a quality score. And that can be affected by how well you lead that crew. Uh-huh. I, and that's, I, I absolutely love that system. I am wild about that. It's, it's a Saltmarsh great system. implementation of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I think, you know, I, I love the idea maybe more than the presentation here, but I do love the idea. Yeah. You know, and we, and we already mentioned the piety thing with the inspiration being the reward, which is just yeah, so yeah. out of 10 days field. of, uh, adva- of inspiration is, is yeah. kind of interesting idea. Yep. Yeah. Um, and like now that we have the, the, ther- the Theros piety system and there's been a, uh, a piety supplement for forgotten realms i think um i would much rather see this actually address piety uh, just uh the idea of like literally anyone could go into uh, a temple of their choice and um engage in in ceremonies um and, and offer sacrifices and such it's it's interesting and, and get reward for it. That's interesting. It's just inspiration needs more teeth. Sorry. Mm-hmm. I do like sewing rumors. I, 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 I can <laughs> kind of skip over selling magic items, but man, I love sewing rumors <laughs> just as an idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's a cool concept. And, and it's an interesting way that it plays out. Like you've got to dedicate yourself to it. It sort of envisions this role for you that you've got to do consistently. I thought it was an interesting design. It reminds me of um, Eclipse Phase. the The game Eclipse Phase has uh-huh. a has a a system where, or a, uh, if your character is an AI as part of the mesh, you can actually attempt to um, to sort of sew a meme and nice. and start start a meme in in the internet, you know, on the internet, and 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 the fortune and kid, all right, right, and thereby like affect the reputation or opinion of other people about a particular person or or whatever. And that, this reminds me of that. It's a it's a really it's it was a really nice addition to that game in terms of that ability it was was real fun to use in game. Um, and this reminds me of that a little bit. Yeah, it's it's interesting that the just the idea of like it's got a table for 
the size of the settlement where you're trying to sew this rumor and a really very <laughs> right. interesting interesting take on things I, I obviously have serious problems sam with training to gain levels i think that <laughs> if it doesn't take longer if i think you've been role-playing your class like <laughs> then it's not a real training table <laughs> well you obviously have been indoctrinated by gygax's first edition dmg initiated into the higher wisdom sam Come <laughs> oh on now. sorry the obvious shortcoming here is that it doesn't say that if you're a wizard, you must fight the uh, master of earth, air, wind, and fire. <laughs> right, yes. Well, that, that's monk. only monks, druids, and assassins. Yeah. The monk is <laughs> in so here. weird. It, it's, it's also just, this part is so flavorless. It, it, um, I wish it had had at least some hooks to actually speak to that in some ways and say that, yep. you know, your training could involve a challenge that you do in some way, you know, something to breathe more life into oh, at this level, it's 10 days and blah gold. Yeah. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. You know, we're, we're, we're making fun of the for first edition DMG, but that's my baby, right? Like I love that oh, yeah. book. Oh, that's, sure. that's my go-to DMG. And, and part of the reason I can make fun of it is, is because of its quirks. And the thing is though, that one of the things that it did was give you a definite feel for how the author wanted the game or thought the game should be played, right? It, it is a ruthlessly opinionated text. It is ruthlessly opinionated. And unfortunately, though, or maybe maybe not unfortunately, that's a little bit of what this chapter needs, I think. I, I agree. I, I mean, it, well, training the game levels in particular, um, this is only here as a placeholder. This was not written with passion. Mm-hmm. I, right. I, I, don't, I don't say this often and I, I don't want to be unkind to the writers but this the writer did not believe in this and didn't want it to be here right they felt obligated <laughs> yeah I, 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 I cannot believe or let's say it came true. out that way right like like sometimes yeah. sometimes our work comes across that way it's just the reality of it and my work's not perfect for sure but uh, uh, sure uh, editing can can strip things out for sure. Well, and let me be clear too, when I say that this, this book needs a definite opinion or this, this section or this chapter or whatever, I don't mean that it should be telling you do it this way. And if you don't do it this way, it's bad, wrong fun. You're, you're crazy and stupid and an idiot. And you can't, you, you, you know, you're not playing D and D right. That's not how I mean it. Of course. Just to, just to be clear, what I mean is that it needs to provide more options for how this can be fun in your game. Depend, you know, and how you can actually take it and make it fun in your game, depending on your style and what your players' expectations and desires are. Yeah, you know, I hadn't thought about that, but I agree with you. Like sometimes being passionate, even if it's not particularly the way the way that I want to run it, uh, will do wonders for me because I see what you're talking about, and mm-hmm. and I I sense your excitement and the possibility, and I might take it in another direction. But it woke that thing up in my brain mm-hmm. because it had that passion to it, and and this doesn't yeah, sort of have permission that. to feel excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It doesn't right. have that excitement to it, and 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 I think all of downtime does not give me the promise of what it actually does deliver. But but it it doesn't sell you on it. Of like, hey, hey, kids, here's how to put it in your game. Here's how to make that thing right. awesome. Here's how to create that engagement that it's designed to create, which it actually right. does if you figure out how to do it. And I, I really do believe that the Xanathar's downtimes uh, at least bring energy to the text. Yeah. Like, I'm, I don't have them in front of me, so I could wind up eating those words. But my recollection is that they have a lot more energy in the text 
yeah, and do. and passion for their their subject matter as hey you can extract really cool story from this the I think that when you get to Xanathars, they have realized that the purpose of downtime is to uh, plant seeds of future chaos and adventures, mm-hmm. yeah. which, I mean, God bless them. That's, that's just correct. That's certainly yeah, like, what we did with our time in dust to dust downtimes. I'm looking at pit fighting. It's full of that kind of thing that you're talking about. Like it has complications and like the idea of like a crime boss approaches you and offers to pay you to intentionally lose a few matches, right? Like, right. That's just story that's gold. That's cool right. stuff. Right. Yeah. And you know, as a, as a professor, one of the things I try to do, especially if I'm teaching a particularly boring section, right? I teach anatomy and physiology. It sounds awesome, but I'm telling you some of it's boring. Okay. <laughs> and some of it as, as presented, no matter what I do, I can't jazz it up. Sure. So what I do is I, I present the information so that they get the facts, right? And at the end of that, once they've kind of got the foundational framework of that, that element, then I say, okay, here's why this is awesome. And I tell them something interesting or cool or something about a disease state or a group of people that are immune to something or you know what I mean? Like I, mm-hmm. I tell them something that's really interesting that is directly related to that item that element of, of whatever they just learned so that instead of thinking it as something boring, I show them the kind of interesting passion part of it, right? Like, yeah, you might've thought learning about this system was boring, but look at what we know now because of, we learned about that, right? That's look at awesome. this cool thing, right? And that's what this parts of this chapter need. That, that yeah. reminds me of um, my linguistics professor in, in college, um, Professor uh, Provost, God rest his soul, uh, he managed to end every single class period by blowing my little mind <laughs> with something from etymology or, or like so, somehow, some way that a, a word connected to this other idea and explained something. Yeah. Just, just every class period for a, a, a solid semester. Uh, this was. I had to take this class from him so that I could take old things from someone else. So I could go back and take Beowulf from Global um, <laughs> Provost. Wonderful, wonderful teacher. But you know what? What you're describing is here's how you get inspired about something that that may you know no no product, no book, no adventure, no no game is a hundred percent all the time the best, most awesome thing ever. For sure. It's impossible to do that, right? Like that's a super high standard. Nothing that any of us produce is going to do that, right? But to be able to look at some things and say, okay, I could see where they're going. But if they jazz it up just a tiny bit in a certain place, that might elevate it even just a little bit more. And I think this chapter has a little bit more of that than I than, than, than any of the other chapters. In the other chapters, my major complaint was, I want more of this same thing that they're doing. Yep. I want some more, I want more tables, or I want more advice, or I want more of this, or I want more of that. And here, I also want some more of some of these things, because I want more examples and explanations and advice, but I want, I want, I want their passion to come through, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Yep, I, I agree that, well, I mean, this is all a long-form way of saying, bit dry, bit dry mm-hmm. yeah yeah but I, um, I would say though for all that i'm might sound otherwise this is one of my favorite chapters because i like downtime so much 
for and, sure. And, and and it's not necessarily that it, it's perfectly written or anything like that, but just the idea of downtime, I find is very revolutionary. Uh, it, it tries to codify something when it manages to do so somewhat. Uh, but later, later we pull it off and it m- manages to, which is hard to do. Like if you said, take all the, the wacky things you came up with when you're playing AD and D between sessions <laughs> and make it into code, I would say, maybe we should give this project to someone else who's more clever than I am. Um, and, and somebody pulled it off, you know, not perfectly, but they did. And, and we're all better for it, which is awesome. Like, I really like this chapter because it, it took that really risky step. And a lot of, one of the reasons I can sleep at night designing is because my thought is always, I'm going to make a thing. Someone will hopefully be inspired by it and make it better. And it'll just keep on down the line. Right. And this is a clear example of that. Mm-hmm. Well, and so I like to imagine, and I have no basis in, in, actual knowledge of this, but I like to imagine that there was a lot of cool stuff in this chapter and it was such good stuff that they realized we're going to have to expand on this later and we need to play test some things. We need to check out some things. So let's make this as bare bones as possible so that we have it in there. Cause it would, it would, as I keep saying, it would be an obvious absence right it would be an omission if a lot of this stuff that's in this little six page chapter wasn't here right if it wasn't in the dmg at all we would all be saying why didn't they tell us about that in the dmg yeah i i, I hear you i hear you um and, and I, I definitely join you Teos, in being passionate about this topic even if i think that the the chapter is presented um does need to be a little more um a little, little more story forward uh, rather than here's some mechanics to get this out of the way, yeah. which I, I think is how I might summarize what we're, what we're getting at here. Mm-hmm. But that does bring us to the end of the chapter. Uh, do we have further final thoughts? I mean, there's a tiny brief section on uh, creating your own downtime. And what I would say to that is, is it's fine for, for what it is. I think it's fine uh, because yeah. they're, they're, they're very disparate, but but I would change all of that advice based on what Xanathar's does um, and, and use those as a model instead. Um, so it's just simply kind of dated just because of what it was at the time. Yep, I agree. Do you think it's workable if a person does not have access to Xanathar's? Get Xanathar's. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right, but, uh, sure, but, but no. I mean, yeah, but lackluster. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I, I would agree with that. Carousing is the one you want to do. Skip the others unless you're really sure. It just doesn't cover to me enough situations. Like this is not answering. It, it answers certain questions they sort of chose to pull forth. Mm-hmm. But right. this is not, not the list of things that my players want to do in between dungeons. Um, it's far from it. it. It's a couple of them. But some of them are sort of grandiose questions rather than the everyday. I want to learn about the thing. Or um, I want to, uh, you know, perfect this or uh, undermine this, right? I want to, I want to advance my campaign interests in some way. Like those are the kind of things that players, you know, really allows you to tell awesome, really cool campaign stories, and and those show up a little more in Xanathar's and in Ink. And you know, I feel like just hearing you say that makes me think that one thing that could that could actually greatly enhance this chapter is just simply a nice big bullet list or table of 
here's some things that PCs might want to do during downtime. Right. And while we, we, we're not going to spend the word count describing all of these and providing a nice carousing table, but look at all of the things that you might want to think about allowing your PCs to do during yeah. downtime. Yeah, just even that last piece with creating downtime activities, if you took that art that's on the bottom corner of that page and mm-hmm. made it half the size and added another paragraph that spoke to that, I think that would have been really valuable because... And, and even, you know, with Xanathars, we don't quite have that. And, and I've, like, I consulted on a project once uh, around downtime. And I, I think that it's it's not an easy thing for DMs to sort of perceive mm-hmm. how to do this. My rule is is sort of three checks. Each one is telling a part of the story. Sort of like I said with that pit fighting thing, right? Like uh, assess the clientele and what the crowd loves or you know, get a read on the different fighters. So you choose the right one, but that allows you to tell a story with these activities around whatever it is that your player came to you with, right? Your player might say, uh, I want to look into the cult. Cool. Uh, a check to learn where to look, a check to do something with that, a check to, um, seal the deal, right? That's sort of the way I look at it. Mm -hmm, Uh, Or another Mm -hmm. way is the third one can be press your luck is another way. Like you could look for more, but you might reveal yourself to the cult or have some other bad thing happen. And that's another, a lot of times when I was playtesting downtime activities, I, my third one would be a, a press your luck. But what it always let me do is create a story. And, and I'd love to see some rules set up for that. Um, and I've blogged a lot about it because of this, because I think that it, 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 even with what we've had evolve into it, I think it still could use another evolutionary step or two. Okay. Any final thoughts? I think I am I am square on this. I think we have uh, covered these uh, scant few pages as exhaustively as can be achieved. <laughs> uh, I knew we could do it. I think we could have read them into the record by now if we had to. <laughs> um, yep, just not not bad, not exciting enough. Yeah, that's okay. Any any last words, Teos? No, I, I, other than just to encourage anybody who hasn't played with downtime much to to do that. I think, you know, all the advice in this chapter is good. We, we kind of want more. Um, it's not the worst result to have. There's nothing that's just downright wrong. Uh, just downtime's a little dated, but man, it's it's worth getting into it as a, a fun tool for to use. And once you have a stronghold, if the, if the DM and the other players are willing and able to engage with it as a meaty part of the fiction... It's great. It's absolutely. It feels absolutely great because you, your mark on that setting is made. Congratulations! I know the first dungeon the next campaign is exploring. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Very nice. So we normally, when we when we head out of here, we ask uh, where people can be found on the internet. So uh, Teos, do you want to tell us where you can be found on the internet? Thank you. Yes, uh, you can find me at alphastream.org, where I blog about downtime <laughs> and monster <laughs> damage and lots of other fun uh, concepts. And you can uh, join my mailing list, which will let you not miss any of those posts. Uh, you'll also get a free product if you do so. And you can find me on Twitter at AlphaStream on the Twitters. And uh, from either of those, you can reach uh, the lists of things I've created and all of that should it interest you. Uh, I should also say that I'm on a podcast. I am the co-host along with the awesome Sean Merwin. Uh, we have a podca- podcast called Mastering Dungeons, and you can find us at Mastering D&D on Twitter. Awesome. Awesome. Brandis? 
Well, our readers can find me on the Twitters at Brandis Stoddard. Uh, I also write for tribality.com. My personal blog is brandisstoddard.com, and my Patreon is Brandis Stoddard. How about you, Sam? I am DM Samuel on that uh, Wicked Bird site, Twitter, and uh, I am on RPGmusings.com. That's my blog. I write there periodically, and I'm, of course, all over the Tome Show. And uh, my my product that I wrote for uh, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, which is called Creed of Oral, which is about how to add the Cult of Oral and the Church of Oral into your Rhyme of the Frostmaiden game, went silver a couple of days ago. Mm. And so I'm extremely happy about that. So if you'd like to check that out, please do so. Uh, okay, if you're running that game, it might be a really good uh, product there. And uh, there was some uh, some news the other day about a Feywild adventure um, that is going to be releasing. And I think there is a product that Mr. Brandis Stoddard produced that is probably going to do you some some goodness uh, in, in that product if you're looking for Feywild things. I have no idea if my if my fate hierarchy <laughs> is going to stand up, but uh, that's because they didn't hire me to write this part. They should have. But, the, but they didn't. the product is good enough that I'm sure that it will add and enhance anyone's game. So check that out. It's called Fae Gifts and Bargains. Thank you very much, Sam. So I think I think that's I think that's going to take us out of here. Thank you so much. All right, folks, wear your masks. Yeah. Yes, wear your masks. 